0: When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at AlignerHealth.org/ortho. I'm Michael Boxell, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons.
1: afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. I'm Steve McPherson, and it's a pleasant day to be joined by my second favorite Englishman, Callum Williams. I'm not really sure who my first favorite was, but I didn't want to give you a big head. So David Bowie. I'm going to go with David Bowie right now. Um, I could be second fiddle to David Bowie, no problem. It's not bad. It's uh, it's St. Patrick's Day. Look at this. Are you ready?
0: Oh, oh. oh now we're choking, my friend. Wow. wow. Look at you! <laughs> I pull it out
1: like just for this holiday, basically. I'm it's, it's my Celtic jersey, so uh, so I'm wearing that. Are you? Uh, you seem as someone who is 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 red haired and um, British and a fan of of beer. Uh, I would think that St Patrick's Day would be your Bailey week. Is that the case?
0: Yeah. So, um, Paddy's Day, which is Paddy's Day by the way, not Patty's Paddy's, Day, Paddy, right? Two Paddy. D's because of Padre, Um which is. Um, is Patrick, Patrick for for um, in in Irish for those unaware. Um, yeah, St. Patrick's Day is a big one in my family, Steve, because um, one side of the family is is uh, absurdly Irish, um, hailing from Dublin and, and the northern part of the Republic. Um, I spent a lot of time in in uh, Ireland as a as a kid, well not a lot, but you know, a significant <laughs> amount of time. Um, More than and, me, I have spent zero time in Ireland, so <laughs> you should go. You would love it. It's a beautiful right. place, Steve. Something. It's. Um, it, the, the, the Irish part of me and my family is very important to me, Steve. Um, just because um, I, I was um, natural i was raised by my, my mom and dad, but I spent a lot of time being raised by my my grandparents, my mom's mother and father, who, who are, as I said, both um, both from from Ireland. And um, and not not that I had the whole being Irish thing shoved down my throat or anything, because because I didn't. But but it it remains very important to me for sure. I was incredibly close with my grandparents. Uh, especially my grandfather, who, um, who who passed away on St Patrick's Day, like a good uh, a good Irishman does. Um, you know, this is probably eleven years ago now. It's, it seems like yesterday. Um, so, yeah, there's the, there's the whole family aspect. There's my grandfather's passing, not to be morbid or anything. Um, and and the whole um, the the whole day out aspect of it as well in, in Birmingham, Steve. There's um, a humongous. Irish contingency because a lot of people immigrated from Ireland to the UK and particularly to Birmingham in the 1950s um, for, for work, basically. So it's it's a very Irish place um, in the UK. And um, it, it's an important part to me, for sure. So yes, you know, um, as well as the red beard and my love for, for alcohol and you know all the good stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's a massive day in my family, for sure. Um, and so last year was strange. This year is, is, is weird as well, because it's usually a day Full of of parades and parties, um, seeing relatives and loved ones, and spending some good times with with a lot of really good people in a, in a good pub somewhere, you know. And it's not been the case the last two years. So hopefully this time next year it'll it'll be it'll be okay to do all of that safely. Uh, but yeah, I guess to answer the question, yeah, it's it's um, it's a, a big day in my family for sure, Steve.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly been weird. Uh, you know, I, as someone who's older now at this point, uh, Cal, with two kids, I don't tend to spend a lot of time out at the pub. But uh, it, it is a it is a St. Patrick's Day. I find myself wishing that I could go out to a pub. I have always enjoyed uh, a good a good Irish pub, of which there are many of them around the uh, the Twin Cities. I actually, I had to get uh, I made some stew a while ago that I needed uh, Guinness for. So mm-hmm. when I went to the store, I got Guinness and and Smittix. So I may just make up my own. You know, black and tan uh, this evening, is, is, and I think we're going to make some, some soda bread as well uh, this evening. So, nice. uh, no corned beef because the kids won't eat that. But uh, corned beef kind of feeds into like the way Cal that I have my memories of St. Patrick's Day are sort of. It, it, it's like it's scattershot because it's never like it was never a real holiday where I was like, I'm going to do this every year. You know, like sometimes Thanksgiving is sort of like, oh, you're always at your in-laws or you're always at your parents for, you know, like di- different holidays. This is like I remember I played a show. I'm a, a guitarist, as you can as anybody watching can see, I have guitars behind me. And I played a show in upstate New York when I was living in Connecticut. I drove up with the the, the singer and other guitarists from my band. And it was just the two of us. It was like an acoustic show uh, south of Albany on the Hudson River in a small town where they filmed a movie called Ironweed, I believe. Um, and this, we played at this old hotel. Uh, and it was it was St. Patrick's Day, and so we played uh, we played our show, we played our set, and then we were eating corned beef and cabbage. And I just have a very strong memory of that because it was a very weird, it was like a very old, weird hotel. And then we stayed over there, and then drove back. And I think we made like fifty bucks or something terrible like that. That's <laughs> that's what being a musician in your twenties is like. So yeah, my my St. Patrick's Day is very is very sort of scatter but I I really enjoy it. And uh, and like I said, Irish whiskey, you know, give me some red breast, any of that stuff, I will be. I'll be quite happy with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Happy decent parties Day to everybody, and um, yeah, hopefully we can celebrate it properly next year. Yeah, all right. Uh, big news:
1: uh, the return of fans. This is still, uh, you know, in the works. Uh, it's it's the kind of thing that that takes a lot of time. I know as soon as the stuff came out and and Governor Walls uh, said that people would be able to come back for for events at some capacity, immediately people are like. Tickets. What do we do? Where do we go? How do we get them? Uh, I am not here to tell you that I have details about any of that stuff. Uh, I just Mm -hmm. want to talk about the concept of it. Uh, There will be details coming out, you know, in, in the next few weeks, but there's a lot that goes into this. I mean, if you just pause and think about the idea of how you determine what seats work, at what? Where can people be? What are the protocols for all of this happening? There's a lot that goes into that before we can talk about it. But let's just talk about the fact that we're likely to be able to have some number of fans, a significant number of fans in the stands for the home opener. How excited are you for that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... I can't even really put it into words, Steve, which is a bit crap for a commentator. But it, it's... Um, <laughs> It, it, I think this past year has really proven once again how important fans are to a football club. Um, I've said this for years and, and for so long, Steve, but, but football really is nothing without fans. And, and this year we've we've really seen the prime example of that being the case, you know, and um, they are, they're, they're the heartbeat of the football club. Um, especially, you know, not, not not just saying it's just a wonder but they are a massive part of it, you know, with... Mm-hmm the um, with, with the amount of songs that they sing it, it, it's almost I said this before Steve um, about the actual song but I'll, I'll say it about the version that, that our fans sing when our fans sing Wonderwall from the Wonderwall it, it is almost becoming anthemic um, and, and people now are starting to recognize Minnesota United simply because of, of one song and um, who would have ever thought that, that a club would have been associated with an Oasis song? And and straight away, as soon as it plays, I know that's where my mindset goes. And maybe that's because I'm associated with a club. I don't know. But um, I, I know of so many people um, back home in England who, you know, whenever they play Wonderwall, they, they've said to me they think of Minnesota United, you know, it's just become such a connection with the club, you know. And, and it's it's all down to the fans and, and, and how they um, created it. I know the origination came from, from Carl Craig, uh, and good luck to him, by the way, with Madison this year. Yeah. Um, but just what the fans have done, the atmosphere they've created—nobody thought that would ever exist at Minnesota, um, in Minnesota, rather in, in terms of soccer, and it's um, it's become um, it's become uh, a place where a lot of people want to come and watch a game because of the fans. You know, don't, don't get me wrong; the stadium's lovely, the football's very good. But let's be honest, a lot of people come because of the fans. It's as simple as that.
1: Yeah. I think that... you know, obviously, it's not going to be full capacity. Um, you know, it's it's going to be some some fraction of of the stadium. But I think we saw when uh, when Minnesota United was at TCF Bank Stadium, which the, you know, I mean, obviously filled to capacity for the final game against the Galaxy, but generally less than capacity. Still a pretty loud game. I mean, I think that you know, and we saw it a little bit last year in some of the stadiums that would allow some people in towards the end of the season. Even that you know two thousand three thousand, whatever it is, couple thousand fans you know, it's going to be a lot better as somebody who was there for games when they were just piping the sound in, it's going to be, it's going to be nice to have people there. And I know that there's going to be people on the wonder wall and I know that they're going to be, you know, singing their butts off uh, to make up for whoever can't be there. Um, So it's going to be really exciting. Let's uh, two other things to announce. We're still waiting on a full schedule to drop, but the season opener uh, for Minnesota United is going to be on April 16th versus um, a little team called the Seattle Sounders. Uh, I not familiar with them. Um, how do you feel about that matchup to start the season?
0: Um, look, I'm delighted that we have an opening game of the season, because let's be honest, at one stage, you weren't sure that would be the case at all. Right. Um, it, the, it seems as though, um, <laughs> the, there's, um, there's a little bit of a, of a, of a frustrated feeling. Maybe I'm not sure that's the right terminology, but, but maybe, um, there's, there's something there that would irk Minnesota United fans because of what happened uh, in the last game uh, and the way in which it happened as well. But what a great spot to go, Steve, um, and claim revenge at the first time of asking, you know? I mean, because otherwise you would have that that defeatist feeling um, until the next time you quit. So what a chance to, to go and, and redeem yourselves. What a chance to go and try and claim revenge, you know, straight away. It'll be difficult. Of course it will. It's, it's Seattle Sounders. They are uh, perennial winners over the course of the last five or six years in, in Major League Soccer. They're always there or thereabouts in the playoffs, in the Western Conference Final and what have you. They're a good team. There's a reason for that. So it ain't going to be easy. And, and, and look, that again, they've added in the off-season like, like everybody does in this league. Um, so it's going to be really tough. Um, but I, I, I think um, let's start with, with an almighty challenge. And a way to Seattle Sounders is is the absolute epitome of that.
1: Yeah, there's something to be said for going straight into the belly of the beast, you know, and sort of just trial by fire, like getting out there because the season often starts kind of slow. Um, you know, it takes a couple games for teams to come together. I'm not saying that necessarily this is going to make that not happen. Um, there's often the first games of the season are a little rough. We know that we're going to get into this, but you know, this off season has been a little slow with transactions. It seems like teams might be, you know, holding back a little bit, given the way that transfer windows have shifted and that they might be looking towards making bigger changes down the road. Um, but you know, Minnesota United has had, uh, you know, started on the road every season, I believe, uh, so far. Um, might have something to do with the climate. I don't know. Um, <laughs> they've decided mm-hmm. to stay away from, you know, uh, early April games in in Minnesota. But um, started on the road. So sometimes it's there's kind of that feeling of like, you know, that in, the inaugural season at Allianz Field, I remember those first couple games, it was just sort of like, we're just waiting to open the building, you know, like there was sort of a feeling of like this is the event that's going to happen. And then, you know, last season started really promisingly with two wins on the road, which was very exciting. And then the anticipation for a home opener that didn't that didn't happen. Uh, and then when it did happen, it was you know months later with no fans and everything like that. So having a carrot in that first game to say we're going back to Seattle and we're going to face the team that, that eliminated us from the playoffs. I think that's a good thing for the team. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's going to mean a lot to guys who know about that rivalry. Obviously it's great for Ozzy Alonso coming back again, now that he's been, he's been officially announced as, uh, coming back to the team, going back to his, his old stomping grounds. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. It's a great venue. Um, they're, they're a fun team to watch play. And I think, you know, like, again, I would hesitate to let anybody draw too much, uh, you know, too many conclusions out of the first game of the season. Cause it's always a little weird, but it's going to be a fun one Cal for sure. Uh, following that, the home opener, uh, at Allianz field on April 24th is against real Salt Lake. Um, real Salt Lake have never taken a point in Minnesota. Um, not even at TCF bank stadium and certainly not at Allianz field. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm salivating at the prospect of getting RSL at home to start the season. Uh, how, how about you? Do you have any takes on, on RSL's off season? Uh, or are you even there yet for really thinking about that kind of stuff?
0: Well, first of all, Steve, obviously RSL were the first team Minnesota United uh, were able to, to beat in major league soccer. So there's always that nice little thought uh, Mm -hmm. in the back of the mind whenever we play RSL, but, um, I must admit, Steve, and maybe I'm being naive towards it, but as soon as I, I saw it, I thought I would expect a home victory. Um, RSL weren't great last year; they were okay. Um, they've not been as busy as I thought they would be in the market, particularly after they they sold Corey Baird. Um, I, I thought they would try and replace him. Um, maybe they still are, and, and the deal hasn't gone through yet. We don't know, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I know you, you've got an article coming out soon about. Difficulty doing deals, and which I'm sure we'll get to at some stage. But it's, and um, um, they've been a bit quieter than I thought they would be. Um, Juarez, um, ex-Minnesota player, of course, um, has uh, has done well. Um, but again, maybe I'm being naive here, Steve. But I, I just, I don't feel majorly threatened. Um at Allianz Field against Real Salt Lake, I I expect a Minnesota United, a comfortable Minnesota United home win. Um but <laughs> this game is over a month away and things can change very quickly in this sport and players can be bought and sold very really quickly as well. So um let me let me put a bow on it by saying this, Steve. With the current rosters that both teams have, if they are the teams that start at Allianz Fields, um, I would back Minnesota United no problem at all.
1: Yeah, I would agree, Cal. I think that um, RSL, I remember this coming into the um, MLS's back tournament last year because the the group that Minnesota United were in uh, was sort of the uh, greater than the some other parts uh, group, you know, and teams where it wasn't like, oh, this is your headliner, but it's like Minnesota United, Colorado Rapids, RSL. Somebody else I can't remember now. Um, timbers, right? They were in our group, so Timbers not as much that case. Um, but uh, you know where RSL had. I'm t- somebody, correct me. I'm blowing that group all out of the water. It was RSL in Colorado. We're definitely in our. It group. was it
0: was Kansas City.
1: Kansas City. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. We okay. Like, thank you. Again, uh, Kansas City with with Polito maybe shifting a little bit, but historically, sort of one of those teams where it was like, it was the depth, it was the sort of the entire sense of what that team was. And RSL... It, it, it sort of always felt like they're, they don't have that identity, um, at least as long as, I mean, obviously they've, they've had times in their history where they've had an identity since 2017, it sort of felt like, you know, well, they had, uh, you know, Nick Raimondo, uh, it, you know, getting older, eventually retiring, Kyle Beckerman, uh, you know, these sort of identifiable players, but they were getting older. And then in terms of the young players, there wasn't like, this is, this is the guy. Uh, Rushnak's a very good player, but is not like, a marquee guy uh, in a lot of ways. And so, I mean, they're sort of in a transitional phase the team is being mm. sold also, you know, so it sort of feels like maybe right. they're not making a bunch of moves right now. So it feels a little holding pattern-ish. And I think that that sort of goes towards the thing that, that Adrian Heath has said before, which is that like, as far as MLS goes, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. So it's sort of hard to stay where you are if you're not making some kind of big moves going forward. So it feels like maybe RSL, are there for the taking, but as you said, I would I would I would put the same Proviso on there, Cal, with that. If it's if it's the lineups as they are now, it, i I think they should take it.
0: Would agree. I would disagree that Rushnak is not a marquee player, because okay. if Albert Rushnak, if Albert Rushnak was on either of the LA teams, we would view him very differently.
1: Fair. Okay. Fair. I'll say that market market <laughs> size has a lot to do with that. Okay. Good enough. Good enough. Um, we're going to swerve away from, from soccer for a moment. Uh, I'm interspersing other things here. Uh, TV. We, I always love to talk about TV. There's a show called halt and catch fire. Have you heard of it or watched it? No average. Okay, good. Um, this one flew under the radar a little bit. I think it, I don't even know what channel it was on when it was on TV, but uh, it's it's basically a sort of character drama about um, the start of personal computers being a major thing. It sort of takes, it spans from about 1983 to about 1993 over the course of four seasons. It follows four people, essentially a husband and wife and then um, another guy who works with with the husband, and then this younger woman who's a programmer, and uh, it's sort of at the start of the digital revolution and the idea of making a perso- personal computer, and sort of venture capital, and and uh, it goes into games, it goes into communication platforms, it goes into internet service providers. That makes it sound very boring. It's uh, that stuff eventually just sort of becomes window dressing to fall away from this great character show. And my wife and I are now into the fourth season, and it's so. Good. Like the first season, it takes a little while to get going. Uh, it was pitched by the guys who created it as a way to get jobs as writers, like not necessarily to start a show, but then the show got picked up. And so you can sort of feel in the first season, it's like the concept is good, but the characters are a little hard to grasp, or there's sort of something a little bit fudgy about it. Like it's not quite it doesn't quite click. And then it just gets better and better and better. There's not a lot of shows that I think get better and better over the course of four years there's a lot of shows that start well maybe go down maybe come back but it's it's a little slow to start but i really recommend anybody check it out it's it's quickly becoming like maybe a top five all-time show for me i am i'm gonna hold judgment until i finish the fourth season but i strongly recommend it to you cal what's it called again sorry Halt and catch fire, which is uh, a term for it's a command you can give a computer not now but back in the day that would like cause it to just essentially melt itself down. It was like a self destruct command, um, oh. and it, you know there's a, there's a lot of reasons why it's used in the in the show all of the characters have certain self-destructive tendencies and so that's that sort of comes out but it's nice cuz it's not like there's not like car crashes or gunfights or like random deaths which is a thing that happens on a lot of shows now it's like it's it's pretty mild um you know there's not a lot of violence or anything like that it's really good so highly recommend that to, to you and everybody else out there Let's pivot now back to I want to talk about obviously there's not a ton to talk about production day, but it is production day coming up on Friday, uh, which is for people who don't know, this is sort of the moment when uh, players come in and photos are taken, like all the stuff you see throughout the year, uh, videos, clips, GIFs. You know, the hype reels, like all of that stuff comes from this sort of single day. That's like a big, long day where everybody goes through and and does all their stuff. Um, I'm going to get to talk to uh, most of the players. Uh, 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 Andrea Correa, who's uh, a a new employee who maybe people are beginning to get to know if they're following us, uh, who runs the the Spanish language Twitter and has written a couple articles for the website. She's going to talk to uh, Emmanuel Reynoso. And um, a couple of the other guys who, who speak Spanish, uh, we'll have some Spanish language content from it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm gonna be out of my house for more than an hour. Uh, I'm gonna be, you know, I've been I'm I've been getting tested uh, for COVID. Uh, I have, I'm, I'm negative, I'm wearing a mask, there's gonna be plexiglass, it's gonna be crazy, it's not gonna be like it's been. But I'm, I'm looking forward to the prospect of it because it's, it's sort of the moment when the season starts to become real to me, uh, as you sort of begin to get a sense of the group of guys overall. Um, cal i' not i don't know what your role is going to be uh, if you're going to have anything that you get to do on production day um, but what are your uh, what are your what are your feelings about production day and the sort of moment when the season tips into actually starting
0: yeah there's a few things that happen on a yearly basis where you kind of think to yourself right the, the season's here now it's upon us, and production day is certainly one of those days I, I have no idea Steve usually myself and Kendra have to take a couple of pictures for the website and for press and what have you. Um, but I, I have no idea. Um, I do know that on Friday, um, like today, we're recording this on Wednesday, March 17th. Um, we uh, we were able to go up to training for the first time today. Um, socially socially distant, but it was it was wonderful to, to see a lot of um, a lot of the newer players. Uh, and so we're going to be doing that on Friday where I believe the team is um, is is planning on, on uh, playing a scrimmage against the, a local college of some sort. I don't have any details at the moment, but uh, again, that'll be good to to watch some live, in the flesh football, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, I, I don't know what my role on production day will be because I think um, a lot of it will be spent at the training centre watching the, the scrimmage and um, mm-hmm. really starting to, to get ready, Steve, because um, whilst we have... Restrictions for what we can do for for pre-season. For myself as a commentator, it's good to start sort of making the. It, it's good to start making the first couple of notes here and there, you know, and really starting to dive into it, especially with the new players as well. But um, mm-hmm. no, it was good. It was good um, to to see the the big old bubble as well, the new bubble that's been installed oh, yeah. at the NSC, uh, big old spacious thing, and um, uh, certainly keeps the cold out, which is good. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was good to, as I say, I speak briefly to. Um, to one or two of the new players, um, chat to the technical director, Mark Watson, have a brief conversation with Adrian Heath uh, and Ian Fuller, the assistant manager. Um, so today was was the first real moment for me, Steve, where I kind of thought to myself, OK, season's here now, you know, because we, we've had to do so many things at arm's length because of COVID for so long, and, and quite rightly so as well, but um, it, sometimes it's difficult to feel a part of things, you know, so, so being able to, to go and do that today... And I'm very much looking forward to, to doing the same on Friday. Um, it, it's been really good. So uh, I'm looking forward to it now, Steve. I believe the players leave for Florida next week at some stage. And, and what I saw today, I'm sure we'll see it on Friday, uh, was a, a group of players that were fit, that were able, um, and a group of players that I think have have probably done enough now in terms of the fitness aspect of it. They all looked quite sharp. Mm -hmm. Now I think what they need is they need some preseason games um, to to really put themselves uh, on on the next step. Um, So the players look good. The team look organised. There's lots to work on still. Um, We've got a month until the season starts, a month or or thereabouts. Um, I think the team now, this group is, is ready for some preseason games, and we're obviously going to to have those upon us over the, the next couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, preseason get in and away in Orlando. Um, the, the games will not be available uh, for, for streaming or, or watching in any way, so don't even, don't even ask us for yeah. there's no, no one is
0: there. League um, the restrictions, so, we, we can't control it. It is what yeah. it is unfortunately. We would all love to be there, Steve. How much would we love to be in Orlando? Uh, having a little beer on the beach after the responsibilities are done—it'd be lovely, wouldn't it? But we can't go. We can't
1: go, and it is what it is, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, Minnesota will play the Charleston Battery, uh, old old friends and foes, um, a team we've faced in the in the preseason before. The Columbus Crew, uh, see old friend Kevin Molino over there. Uh, FC Cincinnati and Orlando City SC. Uh, those are the four preseason games. So uh, I'm sure we'll have some information on who wins and loses. But that's that's. That's about as, as far as that's going to go for now. Um, as far as I was curious about those getting to see training, which I haven't gotten up yet for training, but um, new players, anybody who you, that, you know, like seen that you've thought, Oh, that he, he's, he's looking pretty good. I mean, I know it's early returns and we're talking about like the first day and one day out of many that are, that are happening, but obviously there's a bunch of new players uh, that, that fans are going to get to know some, they will not really get to know. Is there anybody you think, uh, you know, looks, looks good right now?
0: Um. Adrian Heath mentioned that Will Trapp looked very good and um, was a much better passer of the ball than he thought. Mm-hmm. Um, this was last week. He said he'd settled into the group uh, much quicker than he thought he would. Um, I'm due to chat to Juan Agudelo here later today as well, Steve, so I'm, I'm interested nice. to see how he is. Uh, obviously, he's been around the block a few times in, in terms of Major League Soccer and, and moved <laughs> to the Premier League and what have you. Um, I actually think more than anything, Steve. I thought young Patrick Ware looked looked a handful actually, um, and I I don't I don't expect him to play much first team football this year. I could be completely wrong there, but given that the resume, given his age, uh, given the competition that's ahead of him, and, and we're hoping there'll be more competition ahead of him, uh, I don't expect him to play too many MLS minutes this year. Um, but as I said, I could be wrong, and he could have a wonderful preseason, blow everybody out the water, and start on opening day you know um i I thought he uh i thought he looked really really handy really sharp Uh, obviously he's played a few collegiate games leading into this so maybe he was a little sharper than than other people um he's uh bigger than i thought he was he's faster than i thought he was Uh, i thought he looked really good um and look as i said there's plenty of time for that talent to continue to develop um but but i was i was impressed with him i um I don't know what I was expecting, Steve. I don't know whether I was expecting, you know, a naive 18-year-old footballer. I don't know, not necessarily, but um, I don't know what I was expecting. But whatever I was expecting, I got a lot more from Patrick Ware. And um, I'm excited to see what he does over the the next year or so.
1: Yeah, it'll it'll be an interesting one to follow. It might touch on him a little bit later. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealthorg ortho. Let's take a little trip uh, around the league. Uh, again, the, the 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 signings are coming uh, slim, which is, which is actually what we're going to talk about. Lucho Acosta has now signed with FC Cincinnati as a DP, uh, joining Brenner uh, from Brazil, who came as a DP as well. And it also makes Cincy the only non-expansion side. Austin FC also signed a DP, but you know, obviously you would expect a new team would have to get some guys. Uh, he the only non-expansion side to sign a new DP in this offseason is that... Um, is this, what's your assessment? Is this really a case of, of sort of a bunch of circumstances coming together between the pandemic slowing down the market, uh, between the, the season getting delayed a little bit, between this transfer window getting shifted, between just the fact that the summer window actually often has more impactful signings generally because of where it falls on the international footballing calendar. What, what do you think is behind that?
0: Combination of everything, to be honest, Steve, but, but mainly for FC Cincinnati. It's about time, really, for them, isn't yeah. it? You know, I, I know they invested last year with uh, Jürgen Locardia, which didn't quite work. And, and I'm interested to see how he does this year. Um, but I think um, Cincinnati have been, they've been scouting for a long time. They've been looking at the type of player they've wanted for a long, long time. Um, and, and it's taken them a long time to get them. Um, they obviously uh, went through South America a lot over the course of the last year to have a look at players and and they've identified those players and gotten them. Um, But look, I mean, in terms of um, other teams in this league bringing in designated players, look, there's no doubt that the, um, the, the virus has caused problems. The shifting of the transfer window has perhaps forced a lot of teams in this league to think maybe we just leave it a little bit and we can perhaps have something that's much more attractive available to us in the summer transfer window as you mentioned Steve. Um, so usually you know as you, as you mentioned before there's a lot of teams that, that tend to add the, the bigger names in the in the summer window because their contracts are up or their contracts winding down or what have you and they tend to be a little cheaper and you don't have to pay a transfer thing for them. Um, but the mentality of Major League Soccer is changing a little bit now in terms of because there's more money in this league, teams are happy to go and, go and spend a, uh, a boatload of money on a transfer fee and then the wages. Um, I think it's a combination of just about everything that you mentioned, Steve, to be honest, but there's no doubt that the shifting of the window has, has perhaps halted a lot of technical directors and it's perhaps put them into this thinking that, OK, um, this window, there's some good players available. But actually, if we, if we wait, season starting in April, if we wait five or six weeks until the the summer window um, is is truly open worldwide we can we can go and get some people Um, and the reason for that is because once the summer window opens across Europe well that means the European teams can then go and and find their targets the the reason why it's so difficult for teams to to, in MLS to get European talent right now is because the window is closed in Europe and they don't want to part way with those players because they can't replace them Um, so I, I think um, over the course of uh, the next couple of months, we'll see some movement for sure. Um, we'll see some movement. Um, we'll see a lot of movement, I think from from South America to North America. Um, those those two continents tend to operate quite well in terms of the transfer market together. Um, but I think from a European perspective, I think we might have to wait and, until that, that window opens and that'll be early June. So we'll wait and see. But, but essentially everything you said is correct there, Steve. And... Um, Whilst I, I I think there will be an additional two, maybe three um, for Minnesota over the, the course of the next couple of weeks before the season starts, I think they've thought to themselves, OK, we're going to wait and we're going to play the couple of, of weeks of the season before um, the, the summer window opens and then we're going to pounce elsewhere. Uh, and without saying any names, everybody knows there's a centre-forward that Minnesota United are interested in. Um, that would be what I would expect to happen, is them to to get a centre-forward of some calibre in this summer window. But bear in mind, because of the way the season is starting this year in April, they would only miss the first five or six weeks. That's my opinion. I don't know if that's fact, but that wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: Yeah, Cal, I think that the... I think the particular combination of of the summer window and moving the season and how those are going to dovetail is playing seems to be playing a big part for any team that's thinking about this strategically, as opposed to simply, you know, difficulties in terms of getting deals done. I mean, the thing of you talking about with European teams where they can't replace players if they go out. That, I think that's that's one of those those complications. But if you look at this season, they're they're going to try to play. I believe we're planning to play thirty four games, right? So a, a full a full season at this point. Um, Generally, the transfer window comes closer to the, the halfway point of the season uh, when the season is scheduled the normal way, um, and uh, and so then it's a little different because it's it, it, like there's sort of this thing in MLS that sort of feels like the first third of the season is teams figuring themselves out. The this transfer window will come right about at that point. Like it'll come after only eight eight-ish games, it seems like. I think it's going to depend on the team, seven, eight, nine games, something like that. You get this sort of run-up to see, like, what you've got, and then you can assess your needs a little better. And you're just saying to yourself, like – whoever I bring in, I can bring in a a more impactful player and have more of the season for them to impact the way that things are set up right now. So just tactically, it seems like maybe this is the direction uh, that, that, that teams are thinking. So um, yeah, I hope that we have, I mean, we have, I'm sure there'll be more Minnesota United signing news before the season's here, but I don't know if it's going to be the headline grabbing news yet. So um, do Grabbing headlines, though, from Minnesota United, there's been a couple of top fives recently over at, at the MLSsoccer.com and um, <clears throat> includes uh, Patrick Wea on the list of top five homegrowns to watch this season, uh, which we sort of uh, alluded to earlier. Again, I'm with you. I don't know that we're going to see a ton of him, but it would be great if he is surprising and and, and fantastic. Uh, a really good call. Jan Gregoosh landing on the top five midfielders, sort of the specific call out to the fact that he's probably – a little overlooked overall because you know he's not um his presence is is more acu- an accumulation of things than it is like this is his signature skill um i think it's hard to underestimate the extent to which uh, Jan Gregor is, is important to this team uh, you know going forward now that he's sort of developed a, a comfortability being in the middle of being, being in the middle of the field like that um, maybe you could just speak a little bit to your sense of Jan Gregor and how he's evolved sort of and grown into his role with Minnesota United over the last uh, la- last couple
0: seasons yeah, and that takes time, right? It takes time to understand your role. It takes time to get comfortable, not only in a new team, but a new country, a new league, a new system as well. I think Jan Gregor has settled in quite nicely and has become a lot more important than people realise. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, Steve, but um, I was speaking to uh, several people Involved on the video analytical side of the club, uh, this was several months ago, just maybe just after the season had finished. And Jan issues numbers in terms of, of passing and, and the accuracy of the passing were some of the best in Major League Soccer. So it, it shows that he's that he's important, and it's not just these little passes that he's playing over three or four yards as well. These are long direct passes, and uh, and they've been very accurate, you know. So it, it it helps in terms of a transition, which Minnesota did turn into a transitional team. Um, when the, the arrival of Reynoso uh, came upon us, that was clear for everybody to see. The Looms prior to that were very, very direct and, and tried to get the ball out wide as quickly as they could and then get it into a, a big centre-forward, which, which was good. And, and, and it worked for Minnesota for several years. Um, was it the prettiest? Was it the most effective? At times, probably not. But with the players that Minnesota had, it, it, it was OK and it worked. And it got them into the playoffs in 2019. Um, but as soon as Reynoso came in, they transitioned a lot more through the centre of the midfield, simply because the ball was at the feet of him a lot more. A lot of the time, and the numbers suggest this and the data suggests this, a lot of the ball came from the feet of Jan Griegers because we noticed so many times Minnesota liked to play from the back. The, the first pass would go into usually Ozzy Alonso or Sandy Dotson, whoever was playing. Secondary pass then, more often than not, would go into Jan Griegers at his feet. The third pass then would more often than not go into the feet of an annual and then such and such and such. And, and there's a reason why Renoso finished with 13 assists or um, something ridiculous, um, you know, the short time that he's, that he's had in, in MLS. Right. Um, I, I wonder now what will happen with Jan Grigus in terms of his role this year. Um, a lot of it depends, Steve, on on the formation that Minnesota United play. Um And I'm talking about a generic sense here, not just from game to game, because sometimes your role has to change from a game-to-game situation. If you're away at the Champions, if you're away at Columbus, your game is probably going to change a little bit as opposed to when you're home to Rail Salt Lake. For example, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there were two very different games from Minnesota away to the Sounders, home to RSL. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I wonder now, uh, as as I say, it depends what system Adrian opts to go for throughout the season? What's going to be the more generic formation for them? Because if it's a 4-3-3, Jan Griegosz will have plenty of the ball at his feet. But if it does remain a 4-2-3-1, which I I expect it to be if they get a couple of the pieces in that they're targeting, um, I wonder how much of the ball Griegosz will will continue to have. Um, I would argue probably even more, considering now, Steve, um, I would assume that Will Trapp would be the starting centre midfielder alongside him. And, and I said that with all due respect to Aussie Alonso, but Aussie, being the age he is, 35, 36, um, there has to come a time where he has to realise, no matter how much he wants to play, that he's not going to play 34 uh, games a season, just in the regular season. There's also cup competitions and playoffs and mm. leagues cup now, where it's older are involved than in, you know. So um, there's so much football to play. And, and I wonder, um, I, I personally think, the starting duo in the centre of midfield will be Wiltrap and Jan Gregus, and I wonder if that means the ball will be at the feet a little more of Jan Gregus. I don't, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure, but I wouldn't expect much to change, Steve. If they remain with this four-two-three-one, because of the transition and because of the way that they operate through Reynoso. As I said, I know for a fact there are plans on on bringing other players in to complement Reynoso. Um, everything is going through Reynoso again for this mm-hmm. thing but there's so much of it that has to go through Jan Griegish first. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued, Steve. I'm in, I'm, right now, I'm none the wiser because I've only seen one training session. Right. But we can only speculate at the moment. But but knowing Adrian like I do, I'd be surprised if there was any major change from a formational point of view across the entirety of the season. Um, and that would mean, again, that Jan Griggish's role, I don't think would change too much. I think maybe he, he would be asked a little more to, to be more of a box-to-box maybe he would be asked to be a little higher up the field because that was one thing I always expected a little more from him, um, and that was goal scoring. And and he never came to Minnesota as a major goal scoring midfielder, that's not his game. But when you're playing the eight role, and when you've got the perception of an Ozzy Alonso last year, more than likely a will track this year, I wonder if he will be able to to push forward a little more this year. Um, We'll wait and see. Uh, But I'm, I'm intrigued, Steve, to see what happens, but no doubt everything goes through Reynoso, but, but again, the data suggests this. More often than not, they have to go through Griegouche or Trap slash Alonso first to get it into Reynoso. So again, I, I don't see much changing for young Griegouche across the entirety of the season.
1: Yeah, I would say that, you know, Adrian Heath is... Um he's not, he doesn't strike me. He's not really a tinkerer, you know, like uh, Cal it's like, he wants to do what what works. Um, He knows the four, two, three, one. That's, that's sort of what he's known for playing uh, with his teams. But he's shown a willingness to do, to do what works. That's the thing. It's like, I don't think he's going to say, Oh, maybe we'll mess around with this to see if this can happen. If, if it seems like the 433 is good and he uses it and it works, he'll probably go, you might consider using it. Um, if he feels like the 4231 is good, he's probably gonna stick with it. So I, I agree with you. I think it's probably more about people fitting into that 4231 than seeing anything that's like a, a, a wholesale change. It will be interesting to see how. You know, Will Trap changes, uh, you know, Jan Gregoosh's role um, and and how we see those things working together. I'm really excited to see Will Trap play. Uh, a great, great guy. I've now talked to him twice. Uh, once on Zoom, and then we did the podcast last week with him and Yuka Raitala. And- uh, just, just a terrific guy, um, and I'm really excited to see his his distribution out of the back. is one of those things that I feel like, again, as a as a fan of the of the holding midfielder position, I just still don't have my buttons, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm excited to see that. That's an element that Minnesota United hasn't really had out of the back.
0: Well, that's uh, and again, that goes back to my point, Steve, about maybe younger Oegusch being a little higher up the field because over the last uh, year or two, he has operated a little deeper. <laughs> But the majority of the time, we've seen him pile drive forward from time to time. But a lot of the times he has operated a little deeper now because he has someone like Wiltrap, who is comfortable operating in a deep, deep lying role and dictating and playing long diagonal balls. I wonder if we see young Gregish a little higher up the field. I'm interested to see it. Yeah,
1: I have, I have other speculative questions, but I think I'm going to hold off on him for now. I feel like we've done enough. Done enough podcasting. Enough
0: speculating. yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff to come and I, I think we, we can save it as we get closer to the season. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put a pin in a couple of the topics I have and we'll see what else happens. Um everybody out there, thanks for joining us for the 135th Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or the very least a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliamscom and me at Steve apologies as always to Richard Wagner and remember there's only one person in this whole world like you people can like you exactly as you
0: are